So, Romans 6, 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, now I know that Paul, as always, sometimes he can be hard to follow. Um, that's not, it's not a sin to say that because it says it in the Bible. Do you know that? Peter says Paul's words are hard to understand sometimes, but they're good if you, if you really nut them out. That's my paraphrase, but Peter says that. And it's good to really think through these things. But he starts by saying this, What then, this is verse 15, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Now, the logic there is God's a God of grace, So why does it matter if we sin? That's kind of a sick logic, but it's a logic. And he says, because it's true. Look, I know I'm a sinful man. And the more I sin and live as a Christian, the more I know the grace of God. So why does it matter if I sin? (laughs) It does, doesn't it? Grace is never an excuse to sin, is it? We should never think for a second that sin doesn't matter because sin killed Jesus. And if sin killed Jesus, that means sin does matter. It is wrong. And we should never think because of the grace of God that we can sin freely. Sin actually doesn't mean that God says it's... Sorry, grace does not mean God saying it's okay to sin. Okay, you hear that? What grace means is that God sent Jesus to die for sin. And if he sent Jesus to die for sin, it doesn't for a second mean it's okay to sin. Doesn't. Okay. We're set free. Now this is talking about shall we sin because we are not under the law? What does it mean we're not under the law? Does that mean the law of God doesn't matter? No, it doesn't mean that either, does it? What we are, we are set free from the condemnation of the law. In other words, if you, anybody disobeys any of the law, the wages of sin is death. But we're set free from that combina- con- combination. We're set free from that condemnation, so that we can obey the law. We're set free from the condemnation of the law, so that we can obey the law. The law is always good. Now, I know I've explained this so many times, but I'm going to do it again because people miss it. When they think of the law, they think of a whole lot of rules that God gave us to make life a little bit less enjoyable. 
Okay? And, and why did he pick those laws that he gave us? And why didn't he say, thou shalt not eat broccoli? Because nobody really liked broccoli. I know some people fake it and make out they do, but it's... It, Right. Anyway, um, the laws of God come from his very character. He is the God of faithfulness, so he says, do not commit adultery. He is the God of truth, so he says, do not lie. Yep. So if you were to obey all of God's laws, you would simply be like God. So there is nothing at all wrong with the law of God. The thing that we're no longer under is the condemnation because we haven't been like God. And we're not condemned because Jesus died for us. Does that make sense? The law is always good. The law of God is always good. It is sweeter than honey. It is more precious than gold. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, then we... Finally say, the law is good. Before that, we say, the law is helpful, it's good for life, but it's hard. But when we receive the Holy Spirit, we say, we love the law. Even when we get it wrong, we know that it's right. And the Spirit actually shows us even more where we get it wrong, but he doesn't condemn us because the condemnation of the law is gone. Now, you see... Before we receive the Holy Spirit, we think that breaking the law is breaking a rule. Once we receive the Holy Spirit, we realise that sin is violating a relationship with God. It's hurting a person. It's against a person. But you can't realise that. You just, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you just try and be good. But when you have the Holy Spirit, you don't want to sin because you know it's against a person. Because all sin is personal, isn't it? All sin is against somebody. We, can, we often sin against each other. But all sin is first and foremost against God. Verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have now come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. This pattern of teaching has come and has claimed your allegiance. You love that teaching, the law of God. You used to be a slave to sin, and Jesus said anyone who sins is a slave to sin, which means that everybody is stuck in their mindsets and stuck in a pattern of evil teaching. But then Jesus comes, he forgives all of our sins, And he gives us the Holy Spirit who breaks the power of sin in our lives. And now we we love righteousness and we are driven to righteousness. And Paul talks about being constrained by the love of Christ or compelled by the love of Christ. We have an urge towards obedience. We have an urge towards love. Ezekiel said this, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols, so I'll wash you from all your sin. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you 
and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So the Holy Spirit moves us to obey and love the law. We are changed people. We are soft people, soft towards God. This doesn't mean we always get it right, but we're soft towards it. I'll give an example in a minute about that. But you see, we, we now have a pattern of teaching that's claimed our allegiance and it is from the heart. The legalist actually often obeys the law better to the letter of the law. They try and obey it, but it is not from the heart. They can obey the law, but despise the law that they obey. They, they obey to try and prove themselves, to prove their own self-righteousness, to prove themselves, to try and create their identity for an outward obedience, but still filled with pride. I'll give you an example, a simple example. One of your children hits another one of your children. You see it. So you say to the one who hit, say sorry. And they go, I'm sorry. From the heart, right? Yeah, no, no. They despise the law that they've just been forced to obey. Yeah? Or you get the pious, self-righteous child who said, I've been found out. I'm so sorry. Can I do anything for you? And they go... I don't know that one. <laughs> no, you'll probably never that one, Amory. But they're both as bad. Neither is from the heart. But when the Holy Spirit comes to a person, they obey the law of God from the heart because they love it. And so they say, sorry, because I know I've done wrong. And I desire in my inmost being to do right and good. Does, does that example make sense? That means we're slaves to righteousness. But we are willing slaves. We love righteousness. We serve the truth because we love the truth. I'll come back to this point. You've been set free from sin, and you have, this is verse 18, and you have become slaves to righteousness. Oh, we're still slaves. Now, what Paul here is talking about, he's talking about being set free from the power of sin. Okay? Sin is no longer our master. When you believe in Christ Jesus, when you receive the Holy Spirit, sin is no longer your master. Do you understand that? Yes, you do go on sinning, but that's not your default position. That's not the natural way it's going to work out. You actually, from the day you became a Christian, from the day you believed in Jesus, there's been a whole lot of times that you haven't realised that you just haven't sinned when you could have. Whereas before you as a Christian, you always would have sinned. Because that's the way you go. Does that make sense? No. It's like this, Anne-Marie. You used to always do what was wrong. And now that you become a Christian and you receive the Holy Spirit, sometimes now you actually do what's right. Oh, right. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give another example. An example of selfishness. Um, Because... Selfishness is at the heart of sin. Now, I'm married, so Jodie's not here, so I can talk about it. Um, and I love marriage, but I, I particularly I love Jodie. She's my wife. And deep in my heart, God has done something amazing in me. And I'm talking about one little law here, the law of selfishness or selflessness. 
He has taught me the law that it is better to love than to be selfish towards my wife. I know in the depths of my being that this is right. I know absolutely it is right to be selfless and not selfish. Do you know that law? You may not be married. Not all of you are married to Jody. But it's towards anybody. Okay. I know that's right. I know that I was created to be wife-centred in that particular relationship. And that is my desire. And sometimes I even practice it. I always love that law. I always know it's right. And sometimes I get it right. In fact, I could say this. Are you ready for this? This is an amazing work of God. I'd say I'm actually better at it than I used to be. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I love the law, but you see, I'm not saying I love the law because it makes life more peaceful for me. You know, people say negatively, happy wife, happy life. Right? It's not that, even though that's true. It is true, it makes life more peaceful. And it's not because I get benefits out of it. No, that's not it. Because I know deep in my heart the Holy Spirit bears witness to this truth. This is right. And not only does the Holy Spirit tell me this is right, the Holy Spirit gives me the power to do what's right. God is changing, transforming us to conform us to the image of his Son. Now, In many times in marriage, I disobey that law and I'm selfish in one way or another. But even when I sin, I love the law and I know it's right and I know it's best. And I know that when I fail, I can still know the law is good and pray to God and I can, in his power, continue to grow in selflessness. I hope that makes sense. That's one little tiny insy law out of millions that flow from the heart of God, whose law is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. And as you, by the power of the Spirit, obey those laws, your life becomes more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. Okay? But the important thing is to know this. The Holy Spirit is at work in you, driving you, compelling you, constraining you to obey his law. And I think that anybody who's a Christian, what we naturally think of is, there's this one problem I have, I keep failing, there's this, there's this. But do you know how much God is working on you in so many areas? And if you were to bring them up, you would see that the Holy Spirit is doing a marvellous work of changing your life. Do you agree? Yes. Yep. I'm not the same person I used to be. Yep. But my perfection always lies in Christ. It, is, it, is, it comes from him. Okay, he says, I'm using an example of everyday life. This is verse 19. That's the example of being a slave that he's using because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, so now you offer yourself as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. The control of righteousness. What benefit did it reap? Did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? What benefit did we actually get from sin? Nothing. Nothing good. Yep. We reap. What did we reap? Goat heads. Now we reap good fruit. These things result in death. 
But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. God is sanctifying us. And the good thing is, God is sanctifying us. Did I get repetitive then? Because often we think that sanctification is our work. God forgives all our sins and now, come on people, sanctify yourself. Now if you read the Bible and you just look up in your concordance the word sanctify, sanctified, sanctifying, whatever, made holy, it's the same Greek word, be holy, you'll find that in in nearly every case, not in every case, but in nearly every case, it's talking about a work that God does in us. Now, it's a work that we are told not to fight, but to walk in. I'm going to give you an example from 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 6. Um, He says this, um, Do not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, um, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Can you see that? He speaks of it as something that has happened. Are we... Okay, it's God is doing a work in us. It is not saying the reason that you sin now a lot less is because you try harder. The reason that you sin less now is because the Holy Spirit is at work in you doing a work. It's actually because God's done something in us. He's given us a personality transplant. He's given us a life transplant. He's made us born again. He's given us the mind of Christ. He has made us new creations. And even when we do fall into sin, it doesn't change our view of sin. Because we hate it. Do you, do you ever sin and hate the sin you've just done? That's a, you know what that's a sign of? That the Holy Spirit's in you. That God's in you. Because a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit will sin and love it. They might know there's a rule against it, but they'll still love it. I, I've said this before. I had a, a man at a Bible study once, and he said to me, I was talking about something. I had a great Bible study planned, and suddenly he burst out. He cut me off in the middle and said, Derek, how can I be a Christian when I keep on sinning? Good question, really, isn't it? He's obviously done something that he felt guilty about. And I said... The fact that you know that you're a sinner, that you know you've sinned, is a sure sign that the Holy Spirit is in you and you're a saint. Yeah? Because I tell you, no non-Christians run around going, how come I'm still sinning? They don't do that. Only Christians who have the Holy Spirit have the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. We have been sanctified. It has been happened. And it will go on happening. The washing of Christ keeps going. The blood of Christ goes on washing us from all sin. Through his power. The power because he has made us new creations. With new hearts and new minds. For the wages of sin is death. We know this verse, don't we? 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a great verse. It's a sum up to what he's been saying. Now, I want you to notice something that this verse does not say. It does not say the wages of sin is death, but the wages of righteousness is eternal life. Yeah? The wages of sin is death, the wages of righteousness doesn't say that. What does it say? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Yep. Totally different. It's not, we've done evil, we deserve and earn death, and then we do righteousness, so then we deserve and earn eternal life. It's not that. The wages of sin is death. And we fully earn if, we, if that's our, what, we do, what we do. But eternal life is never earned. It is a gift. It is given. We've all sinned against the holy God, but in his grace he has done something about that sin. He's forgiven all our sins. He's dealt with all our sins. He didn't do it by just letting us off the hook. I said before sin was serious. If it wasn't serious, God would just say, no, nah, don't worry about that. Can you imagine that if someone murdered another person and God said, nah, she'll be right. That's nothing. What would God be? He'd be evil, wouldn't he? But God never lets the smallest of sins off the hook. What if he just said, a little white lie, oh, that's not so bad. No. All sin is serious. He doesn't let us off the hook. He deals with our sin fully through his son on the cross who puts us to death who crucifies us and, our, and all of our sin in his body on the cross. So, now he said, so the wages of sin, now think there when he's talking about sin, we naturally think the horrible sins, you know, sexual immorality, stealing, murder, the bad things, the things I'll just jump to then. But there's a more dangerous, more subtle sin which he's talking about here, which is not what we naturally think of. And that is the sin of obeying the law to make ourselves right with God. Yep. The sin of obeying the law and refusing the gift of God that came through Jesus. Very, very serious sin. The sin of the Pharisees. Who did Jesus most... I mean, Jesus called the Pharisees, the people who wanted to be good, whitewashed tombs. Can you believe that? The Son of God, the Holy Son of God, said to people, you're like this stinking coffin that's painted white. You look all white, but on the inside, you're dead. That's a big insult, isn't it? Yep. And, and then to the prostitute, he said, I don't condemn you. Yep. To the tax collector, he goes to his house and he eats. Because... The sin of self-righteousness, of religiousness, of lukewarmness has the appearance of godliness, but it is death. It is a horrible sin. The wages of sin is death, and that sin is more serious. An example of when, you know the, the, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector who went to pray? Jesus told that parable, Right? And, and, you know, the Pharisee, the, the, sorry, the tax collector who'd done all sorts of evil was down on his knees and he said, Lord, have mercy on me. Take your wrath from me. Take your anger from me. 
And, he, and Jesus said he went home justified. But the Pharisee, who everybody thought was great and wonderful, stood up and said, Oh Lord, thank you that I'm not like that bloke over there. Thank you that I'm better than everybody else. Right? And Jesus said he didn't go home because he had the wages of sin, which is death. The start of that parable says this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Who's he telling it to? To people who were confident in their own righteousness, a very great sin. Yep. Our confidence is not in our own righteousness. It is in Christ and the righteousness he's given to us. Okay. Now, so this truly evil Pharisee was the one who's giving to the poor, fulfilling all his religious duties. He's going to the temple twice a week or whatever he has to do. And he looks on the outside like the perfect man. The wages of sin is death. He went home not justified. So, it's easy for us to think or to say or to believe that the wages of sin is death, but the wages of righteousness is eternal life. But that's not what it's saying. It is the gift of God in Jesus Christ. We need him to be saved and we need him for our ongoing salvation. We need to receive the gift, which means, you might say, that's so easy. People say, it's so easy with a gift, you've just got to take it. It's not quite like that. The gift of faith, to receive the gift of Jesus Christ, you've got to give up everything of yourself. You've got to throw all that away and say, it's not me anymore, it's all him. You've got to drop your pride. And we are very proud people. It is incredibly hard to say the gift of God is eternal life. Isn't it? But it's the best way. It is the one gift worth having. And when we have that gift, the Holy Spirit changes us and transforms us, gives us the mind of Christ, and changes us into being the people he makes us occasionally not even be selfish. Yeah? Isn't that good? And not only that, it's great. We love each other from the heart. Not because we're going to get something out of it. We love because it's good and right to love. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for your gift of righteousness that came through Jesus. I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit and that you continue to work in us and to change us and to transform us. And I pray, Father, that we would walk with your Spirit, that we walk in his ways, and, Father, that we would love your law and love to do it from our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.